Father, thank you for this opportunity to share your word with your people. Give us ears to hear what you want to say and hearts that are willing to obey. We pray this for the glory of Christ. Amen. You can be seated. Well, it's good to be back here in St. Louis. Uh, the clergy of this church and one lay person, Matt Hackman, uh, went to Denver this week, Monday through uh, Wednesday, we were at our annual diocesan gathering. So every year we're really required as clergy to go there and um, we, we have a business meeting. That's part of what we do, but really it's about fellowship, it's about worship, and it's about being encouraged and strengthened. Um, and that happened uh, at our diocese meeting. So I thank you for your prayers, and I know some of you are curious about what happened there, and we'll, we'll say more in the days to come about that. I, I'll say one thing is the most powerful thing for me, I really enjoyed the fellowship and the learning and uh, the powerful preaching from a bishop in our uh, denomination named Thad Barnum. But at the end of uh, the conference, the gathering, they... they um, created space for people to be prayed for. And the bishops were in the back of this large sanctuary, if you can picture this. And any anyone who needs prayer for a fresh touch from the Lord or any concern they might have can go and, and be prayed for by the bishops. And I want to say that the, the, the priests and the deacons and the folks who were here were there were standing in line for, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes to be prayed for. It's a long line of people recognizing their need for God. And these bishops took, I don't know, what do you think, think Luke? 45 minutes, maybe an hour? Over an hour. Over an hour standing there praying for priests, deacons, and lay people in this diocese. And so that was really encouraging uh, to see. It was encouraging for me to be prayed for. So that's the kind of diocese we have, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, we're disconnected geographically. I just want you to know it's a vibrant diocese. It's spiritually alive and People are being reached for the gospel of Jesus Christ for this di- uh, through this diocese. It's wonderful. Well, I just wanted to share that with you, and I, like I said, uh, there'll be more to come. Um, but I want to draw your attention today to our text in 1 Corinthians 15. Last week we looked at the first section of 1 Corinthians 15, and now uh, the second Section, and then we'll come back to the, the end of 1 Corinthians 15 next week. Really, I want to focus on um, verses 17 through 18 primarily. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. I heard a podcast a few months ago, this pastor named Dean Insara, who um, works a lot with younger people, college-age folks, and uh, people who are new to the Christian faith. And in this podcast, he said... I think the church is headed for a major crisis, a major discipleship crisis, if, if something doesn't change in the thinking of these new Christians and these young believers. And he said that the problem is, is that as he has been ministering to them and talking to them, 
He's realized they've bought into a version of Christianity that says, come to Christ and he will give you your best life now, in the here and now. If you come to Christ, he will make your marriage better, your family better, your career better, you'll be blessed in your finances. And so the motivation for people coming to Christ is that he's going to empower me to give me my best life now, to fulfill my dreams, to fulfill my potential. And he said he calls this the Instagramification of Christianity. Because they're getting these messages from preachers who look a lot cooler than me. These guys on Instagram. And they're coming into the church with, this is what the faith is about. Christ is going to empower me to fulfill my dreams, my ambitions, to live my best life in the here and now. The pastor said the problem is it's setting them up for major disillusionment. And disappointment. In this type of preaching, there's little talk about suffering. There's little talk about sin. Not much is made of heaven and hell. It's all about the here and now. What happens when the suffering comes? What happens when things get very difficult in family life? What happens when you get a diagnosis? That's difficult to hear. Yes, no doubt about it. Life is better with Christ in the here and now. I wouldn't want to do this life without Christ. But the New Testament teaches us that the best life is the life to come. And Paul says it right here, 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen. If in Christ we have hope in this life only... We are of all people most to be pitied. Now, last week we saw that there were some folks in Corinth who said there's no resurrection for the dead. And we talked about that that they rejected the idea of the resurrection of the body for many different reasons. And then we saw that Paul gave reasons for why we can believe in the resurrection of the body based on... The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this is not a blind faith. We're not just hoping. We're not just wishing that this is true. But Paul says, here are some reasons. Here are the witnesses. You can count on this testimony to support your faith in the resurrection of Christ and the resurrection of the body. There are reasons to believe this. And now he's going to tell us, he wants us to think. What would happen? What would the terrible consequences be for our faith if Christ was not raised? And so, that's what I want to look at this morning. If our hope was only for this life, he says this is why we should be pitied. Number one, he says that your faith would be futile. Our faith would be a waste of time. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Now, the idea behind that word, futile, is to go on a search, but it's unsuccessful. It's a fruitless search. 
And there's nothing more frustrating. We've all been there. You've lost something. You've lost your keys. You've lost your wallet. You've lost your phone. This has been known to happen to me from time to time. (laughs) Thank you, (laughs) mother-in-law. I get an amen from the mother-in-law. I'm a bit absent-minded, okay? I admit it. But you've lost something. And you, you go to the place where you think it is, and it's not there. And then you know you're in trouble. The search begins. You go to the couch. You lift up the couch cushions. Not there. You look under the bed. You look in the car. You've got to get people in your family to help you. I can't find it. Will you please? It's so frustrating. And especially when at the end of all that, you can't find it. A fruitless search. Such a frustrating thing. A waste of time. And Paul says, if Christ hasn't been raised, that's what our faith is like. It's a waste of time. It's fruitless. And in verse 14, he talks about how it's in vain. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching, the apostolic preaching of the resurrection of Christ, that's in vain, and your faith is in vain. And there's another kind of word, there's another picture behind this Greek word, and that is of emptiness. Think of an empty room, an empty place, an empty container. Again, kind of another parable is, is to, to help us think about this a little bit. The, the hot summer day here in St. Louis, you're at a family gathering, you're You've been sweating. It's humid. We've all experienced those days. And they've got one of those water coolers there. And and you go to the water cooler and you just can't wait to taste this ice cold water. And you press that little white button and nothing. It's empty. It's in vain. And Paul says that's what it would be like. That's what our faith is like if Christ hasn't been raised. But thank God Paul doesn't leave us there, does he? (laughs) Paul is an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ, and he says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Friends, if you know in your head and in your heart that Christ has been raised, and if you are trusting in that, you know that this faith is not a waste of time, that it's not empty. There's a reality behind it. There's a reality within it. And that knowing Christ is far from the, a waste of time, it's the greatest use of time. Because in Christ we find God. In God we find eternal life. And a love that will never let us go. That goes beyond death. It's not a waste of time. It's not vain. It's the best use of time. But if Christ hasn't been raised, Paul says, consider the consequences. And then Paul says there's another terrible consequence if Christ has not been raised. You're still in your sins. Still in your sins. Now, we say this every Sunday in our, in our liturgy as we approach the table of the Lord. We remind ourselves that this is about the sacrifice that Christ made for us for our sins. And and, and this is the way Jesus thought about his death. It's explicit all through the Gospels. And there at the Last Supper, at the Passover, Jesus is with his disciples and he takes the cup and he says, this is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness 
of sins. The remission of sins. He's headed to the cross and he says, That's, this, is, this is what's about to happen. I'm going to give my life. I'm going to pour my blood out. And this is going to be a sacrifice, a remission, a payment for the forgiveness of your sins. Mark 10.45, Jesus says, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. A payment. A ransom so that we can be forgiven. So the resurrection of Jesus is divine proof that what he said is really true. That this is the truth about his death. That it is the sacrifice that we need and the world needs for the forgiveness of our sins. That he really is, as John the Baptist says, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is confirmed. At the resurrection, God vindicates his son by raising him from the dead. It's a wonderful thing to have this assurance, isn't it, brothers and sisters, that I am no longer in sin. I'm in Christ. That my fundamental identity is that I am in Christ, that I am a forgiven, beloved child of Bishop Ken at our diocese gathering gave a teaching about this. It struck me when he was talking about it. He said, um, if we're in Christ, sin does not define us. Yes, we sin. We are sinners. But our fundamental identity is that we are beloved children of God because of what God has done for us at the cross of Jesus Christ. We are forgiven. And Bishop Ken went on to say, you know, there, there may be some people who think of, of it like this, that God grudgingly forgives me, that God just sort of tolerates me, that, that I'm not that great of a Christian, that I fail too much, that, I, that I'm not as disciplined as I ought to be as a Christian. And so, yes, God forgives me because that's his job. But he does it in a grudging way. Yes, I got to forgive. I don't really like him, don't love him. But because of the sacrifice of my son, I will tolerate them. Romans 5.8. God shows his love to us in this. That why we were yet sinners. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God shows his love for you at the cross. It is for sinners. It is for people who aren't good enough. It is for people who know they're not good enough, that they don't do all the right things. God shows his love for us in this, that why we were yet sinners. Paul says, sometimes, maybe, Rarely will anybody give their life for another person, maybe a good person. Would they be willing to sacrifice their life? But no one gives their life away for an unrighteous person, except God demonstrates his love for us in this. So it's not just a matter of God tolerating me. It's a matter I've been shown the love of God at the cross of Christ I'm forgiven. Sin no longer defines me. And when that 
reality sinks into your heart and into your mind, it transforms your identity. I'm not in sin. I'm in Him. I'm one with Christ. Can you testify to that? That that's your identity. That that's your hope. It's a wonderful thing. But Paul says, if Christ isn't raised, this isn't true. This transforming message of the forgiveness of sins, if he wasn't raised on the third day, it's not true. We're still in our sin. That is how essential, friends, this doctrine is. This truth that Christ was raised on the third day. The resurrection of Jesus is the structural support of the Christian faith. Without it, it collapses. You can have the veneer of the Christian faith. You can have the activities of the Christian faith. But without this as a reality, it falls. Remember last year, something terrible happened in Florida. It was in Miami. There was a condominium that collapsed. And um, it was really sad news. I mean, 94 people, I think, died in this condominium class. Here was a beautiful piece of real estate, beachfront, Miami. Looked great on the outside. Was very expensive to get in there. But over time, the structural support of that building was eroding. Because water was getting in and corroding the steel. And the whole thing in an instant collapsed. Friends, I want you to be, and I want to be strong in the fundamentals of the faith. I hear about many people now turning their back on the church and on Christianity. Walking away from this. The rise of people who are unbelievers, or they don't believe anything. Or the phenomenon of people who've been raised in the church, leaving the church and leaving Christ behind. And I can only think it's because they really didn't believe. Somehow, the structural support of their faith was undermined. Something happened to corrode it. Because if you really believe in your head and in your heart that this is true... That God raised Jesus from the dead, it's the most amazing news in the universe. It's the basis for everything, for all of our hope. And so I want you, friends, to be strong in the fundamentals of this, the fundamentals of your faith. And for some of you, that might mean doing a little study. Doing a little, you're good at the heart of the Christian faith. You've had an experience which is wonderful. But you're, you, you don't have the reasons. You don't know really. You haven't thought through why you believe what you believe. And that can make you vulnerable. Peter says that we should be prepared to give a reason for the hope that is in us. And if you're going to be a good witness to others, you need to be able, you don't have to, Read a bunch of books. You don't have to have a doctorate in theology. But can you give a reason for the hope that is in you? 
And so for maybe for some here today, you need to study a little bit. We're supposed to love God with all that we are, our heart and our mind. And maybe you need to add some reasons to your faith. You could just Google reasons to believe Jesus rose from the dead. If you Google that, because I did it last night, there will be a couple of articles that pop up. Some really good articles. And then there will be reasons. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Reasons to believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. Some of us, we've got it in our head. We believe it intellectually. But in our heart, we're weak. The experience of this, the reality of the risen Christ hasn't gripped us. Maybe once it did, but now we've grown distant and we've grown cold to the realities of these things. One of the things that Paul emphasizes in his epistles is that this life, this resurrection is something that happened to Christ, but it's something that happens to the believers through the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been given new life. We've been... We've been given entry into a new reality, a spiritual realm, the kingdom of God. And so we need to, if we're in that position, we believe it in our head, but it's not an experiential reality that is shaping our life. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us to know the reality of the risen Christ. We need to meditate on those passages in Scripture that speak to the reality of the resurrection life. Well, finally, Paul says, if Christ hasn't been raised, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ, here's another terrible consequence. Those who've fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Those who've died. It means the grave is it. It means... Death is one if Christ hasn't been raised. They've they've perished. But Jesus says all through his ministry that the reason he came is to save people from perishing. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall not but have everlasting life or eternal life. The alternative to perishing in the grave is the resurrection of Jesus. By Him, we have eternal life. That's the cure for perishing, eternal life. Jesus says that's what He came to do. John 6. Don't, this is after Jesus fed them miraculously with the five loaves and two fish. The, the, the crowd... They came for more food. Do that again, Jesus. We're hungry now. (laughs) Feed us. Do that miracle thing. Multiply. Broader family, friends. We want more of that. They're invested. They're thinking about this life. How Jesus can benefit them in this life. Jesus says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for food that will endure to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Talking about himself. I'll give you food that will last forever. John 11, at the graveside of Lazarus. 
Martha comes to Jesus and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus turns to her and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Ultimately. Yes, they'll die a physical death, but they won't die ultimately. They'll be given the life of God and be raised from the dead. And then Jesus turns to Martha and asks a question that he asks all of us. Do you believe this? Do you believe I am the resurrection and the life? Jesus asked. If Christ had not been raised from the dead, we'd have reason to say, no, I don't believe it. But Paul says, Paul, who was a witness to the risen Christ. In fact, Christ was raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. There's a greater harvest that's coming, ladies and gentlemen. Christ's resurrection foreshadows it. Our hope in Christ is not for this life only, but for the life to come. And keeping this hope alive is a great challenge in our day. Because, especially in an affluent society, we can get very comfortable and cozy here. An Anglican minister who ministered in Australia talks about a time he met with a very wealthy Australian who lived on Sydney Harbor, which I imagine is a real high price real estate. This man, he was talking to him about the things of God, this wealthy man who lives on Sydney Harbor's foreshore. And the man said, don't bother me about God. I have heaven now. The minister said, but for how long? This isn't going to last. Where's your eternal hope? The more comfortable we are in this life, the more difficult it can be to realize that my hope is beyond this life. My ultimate hope. 2 Corinthians 4 tells us what our perspective ought to be as Christians. And friends, it's hard to keep this perspective. I, I, I know that for myself. We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We need to remind ourselves of that. As we experience the blessings of this life, we can celebrate, we can have Super Bowl parties and enjoy the fellowship and the fun. We need to remember these things are a blessing from God. They're a gift of God. They're a foretaste of eternal joys, but they're transient. They're temporary. They point us to eternal realities, unseen realities. We need to remind ourselves of this. When we experience the blessing of life, and the pain, and the sorrow, and the suffering of life. That's Paul's point in 2 Corinthians 4. It's transient. It's temporary. There is a glory that you're going to experience that far outweighs the suffering that you've experienced in this life. That gives us hope. The risen Christ gives us hope. That there's hope beyond the grave. 
Friends, do you have that hope? Do you have that hope today? You can have it if you turn to Jesus. Friends, are you resting in this hope? Are you reminding yourself of this hope? During the blessings, during the sorrows, during the suffering, amid the uncertainty of this life, wars and rumors of wars, sickness and weakness, strengthen yourself in this hope because Christ was raised from the dead. Death has been defeated. It's not the last word. I have the promise of new and unending life because my Savior is alive. Amen. Amen. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the promises that you give us in Jesus Christ. Fill every heart and mind with these promises, Lord God. At a time in our country and in our world where there is so much uncertainty, where there's a great deal of anxiety, where there's a lot of anger. We need this hope and we need to share it with others. The reality of who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, and we praise you. Amen. Amen.